The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Good morning. Welcome once again. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at TBC. And of course, we did not desire it to happen this way, to be only live streaming this morning. But I'm just thankful that we're live streaming because of weather and not because of coronavirus. We, we can be thankful for that. So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, in 1 Corinthians, we really do see a theme, this theme of broken body all throughout the book. The Corinthian church is a broken church. And I find that, I find that strangely encouraging. I think many of us, we look back on the New Testament church and we think of it as this idyllic utopia, but it's, it's simply not that. We see all throughout the Bible uh, just the brokenness of the church in the, New, in the New Testament, and we especially see it in, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. So Paul not only is addressing their corporate brokenness, but their individual brokenness, and many of them value their own bodies more than the body that is the church, and so they are feeding their physical bodies through sexual sin, through eating food sacrifice idols, getting drunk at the communion meal, and now they want to feed their egos through utilizing spiritual gifts. And so we see in this book, we see a hard truth. We see that how we choose to live in this body can affect the body that is the church. If, if we learn anything from the book of 1 Corinthians, it is that Christ followers do not get to say things like, this is my life and, and what I do only affects me. Because we're a part of a body of believers and it affects everyone so we're going to see this body theme throughout the whole book as Paul shows that this broken body and also this broken body of the church will only be redeemed through the broken body of Jesus on the cross. And the victory is only gained through his res- the resurrection of his body. And so you're going to see this, this idea of broken body throughout this whole book as you've seen so far. Now in chapters 11 through 14, we've seen how we've been dealing with issues that surround the corporate worship gathering. Can you imagine that? Just a church having to deal with issues that are about the corporate worship gathering. But that's what they're dealing with back then. And in chapters 12 through 14, uh, Paul addresses spiritual gifts. And you can define the spiritual gifts in this way. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability to be used in building up the body of Christ. So a spiritual gift is not the same thing as a talent. People are born with talents. God gives everyone talents at birth just through his natural, his common grace. But spiritual gifts are given at conversion, at the new birth. Now sometimes our natural talent can be related to a spiritual gift. If someone has a, a great talent at, at business-minded thinking or making money and those kinds of things, once they become a believer, then of course God's going to use that talent and it might, it might tie into a spiritual gift, but talents aren't the exact same thing as a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is used to build up the body of Christ, the church. That's his purpose. Now last week, Tim talked about how in the church we see unity and diversity in the body of Christ. There are many gifts working together, but they're all coming from the same source, which is the Holy Spirit. And so in this section today, we're going to see how Paul provides this really helpful analogy 
for the church, and it's the, the, the analogy of a human body. So we're going to see this passage in, in four different sections. The first section is really about how we see Jesus. So look with me in, in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So if you're not yet a Christ follower, or if you're a new believer, and you may have heard us refer to the church as the body, well, this is where we get that idea from. So after describing the different kinds of gifts, Paul says the church is like a human body. Now, when you study the Bible, it's always helpful to ask what surprises you as you read it. And so whenever we look closely at verse 12, we expect verse 12 to say, so it is with the church. But instead, Paul says, so it is with Christ. So why does he he say it that way? Well, I think what he's trying to show is that this shows how closely we can link the church to Christ himself. We see a similar statement over in Acts chapter 9 at Paul's conversion. Paul's going around before he becomes a believer, he's going around persecuting Christians, and Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. At the course of the time, his name was Saul. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul says back to him, he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. So Jesus, Jesus closely associates the church to himself, and he says to Paul, when you, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. And here in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think Paul's doing a similar thing. Instead of saying, instead of saying so it is with the church, he says, so it is with Christ, because he so closely links the church to Jesus himself. So when Jesus came in the flesh, He had a body, a physical body, but now, of course, his body is the church. And so how we see Jesus is going to impact how we see the church. Some people might say, you know, I have have no issue with Jesus, but it's really the church I take issue with. It's kind of a popular idea today to, to say, I'm okay with Jesus, but I really have an issue with the church. But you see, you and I, we can't, we can't say those kinds of things. We can't separate them like that. We need to see the church as his body and see them as so closely tied together in that way. Now, the Romans divided society into two different groups of people. They they saw the privileged class and they saw everyone else. One one might be privileged for reasons such as birth, uh, the family you're born into, how much money you have, your education. And Corinth is comprised mainly of, of military veterans and slaves. And the veterans would be considered in the, in the privileged class. So don't miss the, the profound nature of verse 13 where it says, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, are one in the church. Don't miss how profound that is. Back in that culture, that would be a, a crazy concept, a profound concept. This idea was a radical concept, and it still is a radical concept today. I know for many of us, we can look at our culture and, and, and we can say, you know, why, is, why are certain churches comprised only of a certain kind of people? 
And that's never been God's intent for the church. You see, some religions are based on a caste system, literal caste system. But this was, ne- this was never God's plan for the church. I love what Craig Bloomberg says. He says, church should be a place where people gather and get along with each other who have no merely human reason for doing so. There should be an aspect of the church where people look in at the church and say, what? That, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how this person of, of this socioeconomic class and this socioeconomic class are somehow in the same community group. The, the watching world should look in and see sort of a riddle in the church and wonder, what is drawing these people together? Because this doesn't make human sense. Another idea I think we get from these first couple of verses is that you and I, once you become a a Christian, once you become a a, a follower of Christ, you and I are part of the church whether we like it or not. If the picture he's using is a picture of a body, once you become a Christ follower, you are in the body of Christ. And we're a part of the church whether we like it or not. So the question is, what kind of body member will you and I be? There are a couple of issues that make us pull away from the people of God, and I think we see, it, we see them here in these next few verses. One of the things that can keep us from really connecting to the body of Christ is how we see ourselves. And so look with me at verse 14. It says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So the Corinthians were guilty of celebrating the more sensational gifts, gifts like speaking in tongues and prophecy. And we'll say more about those in the coming weeks. And this led to jealousy and division there in their church. So Paul imagines this really absurd conversation. What if the body could talk to itself? What if, what if the foot gets jealous of the hand saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. So, so why would a foot be jealous of a hand? Well, just think about what the hand gets to do. The hand gets to wave to people. The hand gets to shake hands, maybe not during COVID, of course. The hand gets to wear the wedding ring. The hand's kind of a big deal. If we want to honor someone, we say, give him a hand. We don't say, give him some feet, right? So the hand gets a lot of attention, whereas the foot has a hard job. The foot has to carry all the weight. The feet get worn down. There's calluses. There's ingrown toenails. There's, there's bunions. I mean, feet smell bad. So the feet has, they've got a difficult task. 
I mean, if we're sitting at home and I take off my socks, my wife says to me, why don't you cover your feet? You see, feet do the heavy lifting. Feet aren't all that attractive. They don't get all the publicity. So you can see how the foot might get jealous of the hand. And you can see how somebody that has the gift of helping or serving might get jealous of someone with a more public upfront gift. Because serving is often like doing the heavy lifting without getting all the notice and the publicity. I think many of us compare ourselves and if we don't measure up, we start to withdraw from the body of Christ. And I think we're especially vulnerable to this kind of thing early on in our faith. Maybe you're someone that's new to the faith. You're a new believer and you've started attending a small group of some kind but suddenly you're now intimidated by somebody else. You know, why, why can't I know scripture like her? Why can't I pray like that person? Why is it that that guy always knows what to say? And I'm more of a shy person. And so there's a lot of ways where you can come into the body of Christ and as the relationships get closer, you start to feel like you're, you're diminished or you're inadequate. You don't measure up to whatever that standard is that you think someone else has attained to. And if you can't be like them, you start to pull back and start to think, you know, I'm not, I'm not like that. And you begin to pull away from the body of Christ. I think of a story uh, back in 2006, my wife and I, before we had kids, we went on a, on a mission trip to um, Rwanda with Gary, our, uh, Gary DeSalvo and Greg Gilkerson and, and some others here at, at TBC. And we had to do several connecting flights, Chicago, then London, then Nairobi, and then Kigali, Rwanda. And this is a several-day trip just to get there. And I think our luggage got lost in Chicago. And so we get to um, Nairobi, and our luggage isn't there. We get to Kigali, our luggage isn't there either. And now we're going off into the mountains to go to this pastor's conference, to preach this pastor's conference. And so our luggage, it took five days for this luggage to finally show up. And it was just my wife and I that had the missing luggage. And so I'm having to preach in this church on a Sunday morning. I'm having to borrow clothes. And so I think I borrowed clothes from uh, partly from Gary, partly from Greg Gilkerson. Greg is about 6'4", and everyone knows Gary's a much bigger man than I am. And so I'm wearing these other guys' clothes. And I can remember, I think I wore Greg Gilkerson's shoes on that Sunday to preach, and he wears like a 13, and my pants are falling down inside the back of my shoes. And so this was not a, a pretty picture at all. But if you put on, if you put on someone else's clothing, well, well nothing, nothing really fits right. It's going to be awkward. And if you and I try to put on someone else's gifting, it's not going to fit right. And it's going to look really awkward. And everyone's going to know that you're, 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 you're kind of you know, playing, playing out of your role. And I think what can happen sometimes is we forget that God designed you for a purpose. And God gave you gifting. And you're not supposed to be like someone else. But if you begin to feel diminished or feel inadequate, and you begin to pull away from the body of Christ because of how you feel and how you see yourselves... Well, there's a part of us that becomes paralyzed. There's a part of the body of Christ that becomes unable to really 
function how it should because you're, you're missing and we need you here. You see, at the root of this jealousy, there is this belief that God really doesn't know what he's doing. That's why I love verse 18 where it says, but as it is, God arranged all the members in the body, each one of them as he chose because God wants unity not uniformity. God never wants uniformity. He's not looking for everyone to be the same. I mean, the image here, if the whole body were an eye, this is why I'm convinced that that Paul must have been a youth pastor because he had a great imagination. If the whole body were an eye, just one big eye rolling around, what kind of body would that be? If the whole body was an ear, one big ear, what would that, the body couldn't function. And so there's no point in us trying to look at ourselves and feel inadequate because we feel like, well, I don't measure up to who that person is. Well, God designed you to be somebody else. And there's no point in trying to put on someone else's gifting. You know, I praise God for how different we all are in the body of Christ. You know, I can look at our staff here at TBC and tell you how each one challenges and sharpens me in different ways. Each one of them are much better at me, much better than me at something. Each one of them has a gifting that I don't have, and I praise God for that. If I'm encountering a complex pastoral issue, I'm probably going to go talk to Chase or Danny and, and get their insight on that particular issue. I'll pick on uh, Tim Cartwright for just a minute, since we both work with students together and have for many years. You know, Tim and I are wired so different, but I praise God for that because he comes up with these amazing ideas for local outreach. He may get an idea on Monday, and then by Wednesday, we're all doing something. It might be we're we're feeding a few hundred people over at Scott and White during this pandemic, or we're writing cards to people. Over 800 cards came in this past couple of weeks to give out to people at Assisted Living Uh, centers. And he'll get these ideas. It's like he just dreams up these ideas. And my brain doesn't have the bandwidth for that. I just don't think like that. And so I praise God that someone like him thinks of those things and mobilizes our church and our people to reach out to our local city in that way. You see, when God hands out gifts, God doesn't make mistakes. We can praise God that we get to play a part in this body of Christ. And I think God has given each one of us just a little sliver. We get to play a part, but we don't get to play the whole thing. We don't get to be everything. I think God wants us to be humble and recognize how much we need everyone else in the body of Christ for this whole thing to function. So there's how we see ourselves, and then there's how we see others. Verse 21 The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. 
So now we'll discuss the uncomfortable elements of these verses in a minute. But at first, so just as we can feel diminished and, and kind of pull away from the body of Christ, sometimes we can push people away. We can think so highly of ourselves and our gifting that we can, we can diminish other people and make them feel inferior because of how we're exercising our own gifts and looking down upon their gifts. We have a responsibility to not diminish our own gifts or someone else's gifts. I think of how early in the pandemic, everything shut down for two months. And they said that we're only going to allow essential workers. And, and many of us that were kind of left stuck at home thought, wait a minute, you mean I'm not essential? I thought I was essential. You, you see, here's the, the really good news. In the body of Christ, everyone is an essential worker. Everybody is essential to make this work properly. There, I think, is a great need in the body of Christ for those with the, the more visible gifts. That would include myself and many others that are in leadership here that we've all got to do some soul searching to ask some tough questions. Are we doing or not doing things to diminish the gifts of other people or making them feel inferior or less than? And so now we get to the the uncomfortable discussion here in this passage. Some believe that we can put the, the idea of weaker or unpresentable in different categories Those body parts that seem to be weaker, as Paul says, could be referring to internal organs like liver, lungs, heart. These are hidden, but they're essential to the body for it to function properly. An example might be over in in Luke chapter 2 where Joseph and Mary, they go and present Jesus at the temple as an infant. And in verse 36, Luke mentions this woman named Anna, and she's a prophetess. She had been widowed just seven years after getting married, and it says that she would spend the rest of her life until she was 84, worshiping, praying, and fasting at the temple. You see, God had an assignment for Anna. And so when Jesus is brought into the temple as an infant, it says, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There are people like that here at TBC. This person may not be front and center, but they are are the lifeblood of the church. And so there's the what might be called the the weaker members, what seems like the weaker people, but they're really not. And then then Paul talks about the, the unpresentable parts of the body. Now, to be clear, we cannot take this analogy too far. I don't think he means anything shameful by saying it this way. I think he's saying that there are some parts that are covered, and in the same way, some people stay in the background. They're not front and center. But look at verse 24 again. How does God give greater honor? It says God gives greater honor to these, these, these parts. Well, God allows them to fulfill the mandate of, in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so those those hidden parts, they get to bring about new life. What an honor for them. This is God's way of honoring those parts of the body. So then I think about people who serve in the background over the years with our student ministry. I think about a couple 
Uh, Brian and Stacy Rue, who served with us for so long down in the outback with our high school students. You know, in the early days, when I first came on staff at TBC and became the high school pastor, um, I wanted to find a way for, for kids to connect more just over food on Sunday morning. And so I, I didn't know what to do. So I, I went to Sam's. I started buying like huge boxes of candy bars and I would just put them out on the table and kids would go grab those. And I mean, there were some kids that were stuffed in their pockets with like five or six bars. Every Sunday was like Halloween for them as they're walking home with this stuff. And so these are, these are my sad attempts at bringing some kind of food element into Sunday morning. And when Stacy saw me doing this, I think she also was concerned about her own kid's sugar intake possibly. But when she saw me doing this, she said, Dave, you know, we can, we can do some breakfast. And at first I was thinking, well, okay, she'll go to the store. She'll buy some muffins and she'll throw out some muffins and some juice possibly. Well, she starts getting this vision of what she wants to do with, there with Brian, her husband. And they began like cooking breakfast for our students every Sunday morning. And I thought this would go on for maybe a few weeks or a few months. This went on for 10 years. They served in this way. And we're talking, they're making biscuits and gravy and sausage and fruit. And our kids are just wondering, what, where is this coming from? And they were the ones that head up this whole ministry. And I will tell you that um, it wasn't just them. It, at first it was them. But many other people followed after them. I think of people like the Simmons and the Fulmers and the Chambliss and the Johnsons and the Pitts and the Cheneys and the Woods and the Nows. And I could go on and on and on. This was really their vision. I never would have asked someone to do that. But they had this hospitality gift in themselves, and they wanted to show this to the body of Christ. And I will tell you that it's these kinds of people that might be unseen or stay in the background, but they have brought so much life to the church. Because community often happens when people eat meals together. And I can see relationships forming down there because of just that simple food element as they engage on Sunday mornings over the last many years. You know, the person with a more visible gift, people with more visible, visible gifts, we don't need special honor. I mean, it's already built in. But we've got to show people that might be more background this special honor because they're giving life to the church in ways that I think is profound. Look with me at the next verse here. It says, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So if we're truly part of the same body, then when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. When one part rejoices, the whole body can rejoice. If somebody wins a race, we don't just crown the feet. We, we crown the whole person. The whole person won. This is how we need to imagine the body of Christ. So we mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And I think we don't really feel the weight of this because many of us are, are just isolated. And that was true before 2020. And if our lives don't really interact with each other, then how can we ever truly feel the pain of someone else or, or the joy of someone else? If we're not really living out our lives in community together, interdependent, interconnected, then how are we ever going to see 
Someone else's pain is our pain, or someone else's joy is our joy. You know, I think at times we can find greater affinity, greater community, just supporting a a team than we do in the body of Christ. I think um, comedian Jerry Falwell, I think, points out this absurdity pretty well here in this. And I could not find a clip without subtitles, so forgive me, but let's watch this clip together. about it who are the giants mm-hmm. you know what i mean you know what i mean i mean it's just it's different guys every year it's different guys yeah. right teams will move from city to city you're rooting for clothes when you get right down to it it's the same outfits it's the same i'm rooting for an outfit that's what it's come down to i want my team's clothes to be the clothes from the other city that's not so bad either there's nothing really wrong with it's that laundry we're rooting for screaming about laundry here people will you know like a, they'll love a guy you know what i mean yeah. and then the guy will get traded he'll come back on another team they hate him now yes this that's is the right. same human being that's in a right. different shirt <laughs> boo get we hate him now <laughs> different shirt <laughs> now wait a minute So you might ask why we're bringing up sports, but I think there are times when um, this is how we try to meet a spiritual need. We can find some sense of worldly community in those kinds of situations, but I love how uh, Dan Gardner, he's the CEO of Code and Theory, which is a company that helps teams brand for their, their, their team names and those kinds of things. He says this, a team embodies itself in the community unlike any other brand. It is part of you, part of your community. There are relationships based around fandom. It is almost like a member of the family. So it's amazing how that, like two people, different, ba- different background, different status, can bond over something so trivial, right? But in the end, as he says, it's just laundry. It's just laundry. When I read that quote, I hear certain Key words like community and relationships and member, family. But that sounds like what what this is supposed to be about. That sounds like what the body of Christ is supposed to be about. And so there's a couple ways in which we, I think, can pull away from the body. One is we how we see ourselves. One is how we see others. We can push people away. Which is why I think Paul brings this whole thing into focus in verse 27, how we see the gifts. How you and I see the gifts is so important. Look at verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? How we see Jesus will change how we see ourselves and how we see others, but also how we see the gifts. And so instead of the gifts becoming about us, they become about him, bringing glory to him. But then Paul seems to contradict himself because after telling the Corinthians to not think too highly of themselves or too lowly of other people, 
Then he does this strange thing where he ranks the gifts. So, so what is Paul doing here? Well, part of it's just simple chronology. So apostles, I'm not going to get into all the definition of apostleship and what that means, but apostles were, of course, his 12 apostles. And we can include Paul in that as well. So part of it's just chronology. They were the first ones to get this revelation, and some of them wrote scripture, of course. And then, of course, there's prophets and there's teachers. So this is kind of how the church was built throughout the early church. But the Corinthians wanted the dramatic gifts, the sensational gifts, like speaking in tongues. They were prioritizing that over everything else, as you'll see in the coming chapters. So when Paul tells them to desire the higher gifts, he is saying to desire the gifts for the purpose of building up the body, not to build up their own egos. So he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts for that purpose. Now, I understand sometimes attending church, it may not be obvious sometimes how you can plug in and serve and what role you're going to play. This is why we push community here so much. We want you part of a group, and here's why. Because that's going to be the primary place you use your gift. As needs arise, as you begin to live life with these people, this is where you're probably going to use your gift the most. And so you're right, coming in here on a Sunday sometimes, you can't always, we can't make use of all the gifts here on a Sunday morning, but we need many gifts at work here on a Sunday morning to make these things happen, especially starting next week. And so we'll need many of you all to step up and to serve and utilize your gifts in the body of Christ in this way. You see, for many of us, coming in here into this room is the end point. The Sunday service should not be the end point, but the starting point. Coming in here should lead to living in surrender and and living in community and living on mission. So we come in here so we can launch you out there. That's the purpose. And so we invite you to come and find ways to use your gifts here, whether it be on a Sunday morning or whether it be in a community group of some kind, a smaller group throughout the week. We need your gifts here at work in the body of Christ. And this is when discipleship happens. And it's a beautiful picture. I want to read an email that I received recently. This is from Gino Pitts. He and his wife, Patty, have worked with us in our junior high and high school ministry for years as their son, Logan, has come up through junior high and high school. And they've served faithfully and and so well in in the last several years in our student ministry. And their son, Logan, is a senior. And I want to read this email because this email came to us at just the right time. Obviously, not meeting for so many months, especially on Sunday morning, has been really tough for us and our students. But this email was just so encouraging to us to know that we're not doing this work in vain. And we can praise God for stories just like this. So I'll read this to you. He writes, just wanted to take a minute to thank you guys and our church for all that you do for our kids. Logan is winding down his high school days quickly. We were struggling with that. I was looking back at pictures and thinking of all the opportunities TBC has provided for him to grow and work through his faith. I have pictures of him sharing the gospel with a little girl on a playground in Galveston when he was in sixth grade. I remember him in the back seat with his best friend on the way to baseball practice telling him about Jesus. I have a picture of him on a hillside in Rwanda giving the gospel to a couple hundred people. 
He stood with confidence and proudly proclaimed the gospel. And how excited he was in New York City to meet the people from West Africa. Something happened to him on that trip. He went as a teenager and came back as a young man. We took him to Belize as a sophomore on a mission trip. And he led the first Belize Impact Bible Club. I remember rounding the corner and hearing him say to the little kids around him, but God had a plan. And then he starts telling them about Jesus. A lady from, a, from another church came to me with tears in her eyes asking me how he learned to do all that. And I told her there are over 100 kids in our church doing that all over Bell County every year. None of these things would be possible for Logan and the rest of our youth without the support of TBC. Anybody that knows Logan is surprised to hear him stand up and start speaking like that. He seems so quiet, they say. TBC has made a tremendous difference in many kids' lives, and quite frankly, mine and Patty's as well. We are church mom and dad to a lot of kids. Some stay in touch, and some even spend Christmas with us. Thank you for all the time and effort from everyone at TBC. And this is the part that got me. I thought he was going to say, it's been great serving with you guys. But he says, when this pandemic subsides, we look forward to helping in the outback for years to come or until you tell us not to come anymore. So you have Patty and Gino Pitts, two people who love to serve and use their gifts and they have no plans to slow down. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful, we're thankful. God, how you've gifted so many different people to make the body of Christ work. We also thank you for other churches in our city. We couldn't do this without them and what they're doing in our city as well. God, we thank you that, that this whole discipleship-making process doesn't rest on any one person's shoulders. God, that you want us to be humbly living out what you've called us to, to be and to do in our gifting, but so that you get the glory, so that you get the honor. God, we thank you for the people in our church that make what happens here possible. We thank you for how they bring life and community to our people and to this city. God, we pray that as we re-engage in coming weeks that that would just continue, that you'd bring people to us that want to serve, want to serve the body in a way that honors and glorifies you. We pray this in your name. Amen.